When I was growing up, I would pretend all the time to be a boy or sometimes pretend to be a man. I felt like I belonged to my body, but I just had this sense of feeling more aligned with male energy. I had all this confusion about it and some built-in, I guess, homophobia that there was something really bad about me doing that. It's the TMI Project Podcast, a series of stories about the too much information parts of ourselves we usually leave out because we're too ashamed or embarrassed. I'm your host of today's episode, Eva Tenuto, and this is season four, Pride Stories. Before we get started, we just want to let you know that as the TMI implies, some content might be too much information for some listeners. If you or someone you know is struggling, support and resources are always available at thetrevorproject.org. And remember, your support keeps our content free and accessible to everyone who wants to listen. So if you like what you hear and you're able to chip in, thank you. You can give what you can at tmiproject.org, where you will also find some fabulous merch. Speaking of which, this season is brought to you by Mr. Julie T's Queer T-shirts for all identities. Don't just say gay, scream it out loud with Mr. Julie T's. A portion of proceeds from all t-shirt sales will be donated to TMI Project to keep the creation and amplification of queer stories alive. You can follow on Instagram at Mr. Julie T's and shop your favorite styles at MrJulieTees.com. Now, let's dive in. I'm here today to pass the mic to two of my favorite people who will be the host for this season. First up, it's TMI Project's co-founder and my wife, Julie Novak. And next, we've got TMI Project's operations and programs manager, Blake File. Julie and Blake are both trained TMI Project workshop leaders, have told their own true stories numerous times, and are totally qualified to host this season because they happen to be two of the gayest people I know. Since Julie and I founded the organization together and ended up getting married, let's start there. Julie, I am excited to pass the hosting mic to you this season. Can you share with our audience a little bit about the early days and how all of this got started? Yeah, there's a lot to share about how things got started. We knew each other as director and actor because you directed the vagina monologues. It's such a lesbian story. You got cast to play the part of the woman who made vaginas happy and then we got married. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I think what you got sold on was the machine gun orgasm, which was... That's a casting couch story. And then when we met V, formerly Eve Ensler, she said that she's met multiple lesbian couples who got married from being actor and director of that story. That's right. (laughs) The early days were pretty remarkable. You all had talked about wanting to tell your own stories and you hosted a writing workshop in your living room. I chose to tell a story that was an exaggerated version of my coming out story. It was the only person that didn't tell an actual true story, but you gave me a pass because you were like, I want to marry her. So you were just like, you can do whatever you want. It's so funny that you're still thinking about that because I remember you were so hung up on the fact that it wasn't actually what happened. 
But it was what happened in your imagination. It was a true story. Right. That's Parts of it were just like, embellished. But, but, but you were but like, it needs it's, to not be, it's not true. not <laughs> true. I'm breaking the rules. But I do remember it was a very special night, that first performance, because that was the night we started really dating. Like right before the actual show, I could totally derail us talking about this great love story, which will come at another time. I remember I did a writing about what was to me the most embarrassing thing in my life that I never talked to anybody about and had so much shame about, which was when I was growing up, I would pretend all the time to be a boy or sometimes pretend to be a man. When I was little, I felt like I belonged to my body, but I just had this sense of feeling more aligned with male energy. I always pretended to be the handsome guy or really like athletic or just a hero type of role. I felt embarrassed about it because I would get caught playing these pretend games and my sister would be like, why are you acting like a boy? And it just made me feel like I was doing something wrong. I'd had all this confusion about it and some built in, I guess, homophobia that there was something really bad about me doing that. I remember the show when you told that story for the first time and you were just about to go on stage to tell it. And you were still so scared to give it voice and to make it go public. I also just thought from the second before I stepped on stage, I was like, this story sucks. This is so embarrassing. People are going to think I'm so weird. Nobody's going to laugh. I'm going to just totally bomb. I was so scared and so almost out of my body because of the fear. And I just thought it was going to land like, a lead balloon. I know. I feel like I almost had to push you out on stage that night (laughs) because you were so freaked out. It was such a strong feeling of, I don't know if this is going to go well. I know. And I don't think I had ever seen you like that before. And I don't think I've ever seen you like that since. I know that I was thinking the same thing. I was like, I can't believe I'm about to do this. I'm risking it all. (laughs) Let's not make them wait a second longer. Without further ado, here is the one and only Julie Novak reading her story titled Football Princess. And be sure to stick around so that you can hear how Julie is doing today. Would you believe with a rack like this? There are still some people who can't tell if I'm a boy or a girl. Children ask outright while adults fumble to find the right pronoun as I walk into the ladies' room. Perfect example, Ponderosa, 1999. Standing on opposite sides of a buffet table, an older gentleman and I reach for the roasted chicken at the exact same time, bumping hands. Oh, excuse me, uh, sir, ma'am, sir. Never correcting him, I walk back to my table, leaving him dazed and confused, wondering if the roasted chicken really is roasted chicken, duck, chicken, duck, sir, ma'am, sir, quack, ah! Even before I am born, my gender is a subject of speculation. Sometimes I think it began as a battle of wills between mother nature and my mother. 
I've never been able to decide who was stronger. You see, at some point after my sister turned two, my mother decided that her firstborn daughter needed to have another little girl to play with. So rather than go to the park or organize a play date, my mother, in her own mad scientist way, declared, I'll make one. <laughs> From early on in the pregnancy, however, her obstetrician is quite certain that she's going to be having a little boy. Oh, no, 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 my mother insists. I'm having a girl, baby. Regardless of her doctor's certainty, her commitment to making a girl holds steady until the actual delivery. As the doctor removes me from the tiny laboratory, also known as my mother's womb, he triumphantly declares, well, say hello to your little football princess. And that is how my life begins. Football princess seems like a fitting moniker, <laughs> except for the lace dresses, which I literally tear off my body. Who am I kidding? I don't want to be a princess. I want to be a mechanic. At three years old, I show up at our house one afternoon with a very heavy craftsman toolbox made of steel, something a mechanic might own. Julie, where did you get the toolbox? Julie, whose house did you get the toolbox from? Still unable to speak, I stare up at my mother in complete silence, but what I'm really thinking is, shouldn't I have always had this toolbox with me? Isn't it really, in fact, mine? Aren't these my wrenches and pliers and screwdrivers? Aren't I the true craftsman here? Surely! This is what I was thinking as I wandered into Mr. Stevenson's garage and first laid eyes on this priceless treasure. Forget about G.I. Joe. It's time to put away childish things. Now this is my speed. I mean, it seems like the logical next step in my career. After all, I already host my own home improvement show in my bedroom late nights after everyone has already gone to sleep. To a captive audience of two teddy bears and a Stretch Armstrong, I profess, now this is honestly the best product that you can buy to protect your home from the harsh New England winter. I have a tub of Cool Whip. You don't want to skip, though. You put in a nice coat and wipe it on evenly and then just sit back and let it set. It's just that easy. <laughs> the show is a rousing success. By the following morning, the Cool Whip forms a thick shellac over the front of my dresser, where it remains mostly intact years later. <laughs> to the family, it's a reminder of my foolishness, but to me, it's foreshadowing of my brilliance. At six, I'm across the street with my brother hanging out at Stephen Orland's house. The three of us are going head-to-head, -head, racing matchbox cars down the driveway at top speed. I imagine myself as A.J. Foyt, the real driver of the remote-controlled car I got that Christmas. Foyt comes around the 10, he passes Unta, he passes Petty, that's it, he wins the Indy 500 again for the second year in a row! My two best friends, Allison Bright and Kristen Pierce, are riding their bikes around the block, but they never stop in to get in on the action. About an hour or so later, I am proudly walking back across the street when they ambush me. Um, we need to talk to you. <laughs> Shit. They sit me down at the picnic table, the two of them on one side, me on the other. This is not going to be good. Um, what were you doing over there? <laughs> Playing with cars? If you want to hang out with us, you need to stop acting like a boy. Bonnie, 
Allison didn't seem to mind when I was acting like a boy when we were making out at the sleepover last summer. But still, I don't want to get made fun of. So, note to self, put playing with Hot Wheels on the list of stealth activities. From that moment on, I began to quietly insert my boy into more socially acceptable activities like Halloween. One year as a SWAT team member and in third grade as a hobo with a fabulous five o'clock shadow. I develop a rich fantasy life in which all of my sister's friends have crushes on me. And I spend a lot of time looking in the mirror with this Hollywood hunk look that I perfected. From behind the locked door of the bathroom, I mouth to myself for hours on end. Hey, how's it going? <clears throat> hey, um, how's it going? <laughs> you know, while other girls long to fill in their training bras, I wait patiently for my mustache to come in. 1988, a year of many significant cultural milestones in American history, Millie Vanilli released their first album. Ronald Reagan endorses George Bush for president of the United States. Prozac is introduced as an antidepressant, probably as a result of the former statement. And yours truly gets her first job working at McDonald's, yes. Working at McDonald's is seriously cool for a 14-year-old growing up in Stowe, Ohio. This is long before Super Size Me. Nobody has any idea how hamburger is really made or the amount of calories in a large Coke. This is an age of prosperity. I get to make money, hang out with my friends, and get first dibs on new menu items like the Southwestern McStyle McBurrito. <laughs> Most importantly, I get to work the drive-through. This is where I begin my lifelong love affair with the microphone. Welcome to McDonald's. Can I take you on a please? Would you like to hear about our special a double quarter pounder with cheese? Um. No, I would actually like. We got apple pies and fries, buns with sesame seeds. You can have anything you like. How about a McDLT? Um, I really just wanted to order McDonald's. Welcome to McDonald's. Never mind. I gave Burger King quite a bit of business that year. But everywhere I turn, the rewards are abounding, and I realize it was totally worth spending all those hours learning the ins and outs of how to package fries correctly and combine the exact ratio of water to sanitizer in a mop bucket. It's after this long orientation that I am awarded my uniform. Not uniform. I'll tell you, a, a pair of milk chocolate colored slacks and a short sleeve white blouse with green pinstripes the collar of which is fastened by a hunter green bow tie a la Colonel Sanders, topped off by a matching hunter green visor. Surely something I would never be caught dead wearing, but oh my God, I look fucking great! Hey, you deserve a break today, huh? Can I take your, can I take your order? Would you like fries with that shake? Shake, shake it, don't break it. Give mama not much to make a suit, woo! For the first time in my life, I notice my body and I am damn impressed with what I see. 
The uniform is tailored to fit, and it happens to fit me perfectly. I notice how slender my legs are, the just right size of my breasts, my fit and trim torso, and broad shoulders. Damn, I look good. I have a hot girl body. This comes as a complete shock to me because I spend all of my free time pretending to be a stocky blonde-haired doctor on General Hospital. I'm the man who saves the day. I'm the man all the ladies get sick over. Who knew that under all this man was all this woman? I fall asleep in the uniform that night with a smile on my face, grateful for the body that God gave me. It is something my mother taught me early on. Be thankful for a strong and healthy body. Be thankful that you have 10 fingers and 10 toes and can run and laugh and play. And I am grateful. Though there were some times along the way that I thought maybe it would have just been easier to have been born a boy. I realize now that there are so many benefits of being exactly who I am. It's okay for me to be sensitive and express my feelings openly without being called a fag. I don't have to worry about male pattern baldness or how big my vagina is. <laughs> my boy has finally met my girl and they love each other. I've stopped seeing myself as one or the other. I'm just Julie and Ba da 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 da, I'm loving it. Hey. After Julie got the nerve to share this story, she wrote many others and used them as the basis for a one woman show we created together and then toured called America's Next Top. One Top's hysterical take on life, love, tools, and boxes. There's a link to the video of the full production in the show notes. You can learn more about all Julie has to offer at julienovak.com. I had a chance to catch up with Julie recently, and here is what she had to say. When I look back on it, I don't even remember why it was such a big deal to me, because right now it feels like it was absolutely like... It was nothing. It was just like me saying, oh, I used to pretend to be a boy when I was growing up and people being like, okay. And I was able to step out of myself and see myself as the character. And I was like, this is funny. This is, this is a good story. And my parents were there. They were laughing so hard at everything and being like, that's totally true. The first two people that came up to me after the show, the first one was a very femme young woman who said, I loved your story because I've never seen a story where a 16-year-old girl talks about loving her body. The second person who came up to me again was another cisgendered woman who said, oh my God, you just told my story. I used to pretend to be a boy all the time when I was growing up. I would pretend to be Luke Skywalker. It blew my mind. It was an incredible feeling that completely changed my life. I remember going back through the video of the performance. I just was like, wow, I could fully see myself in that video like I saw the version of myself that I always wanted to be but didn't think I could be when new people come in who take our workshops I can tell them unequivocally I know for a fact that space in their brain that was so taken up by shame is going to be completely cleared out and when you clear that space out 
you can live a bigger life. You can live your life with more intention. You can actually be of service in the world. Like my life got so much bigger after I shared my stories and it just continues to. Thank you so much for sharing all of your early day experiences with us. Thank you so much. I love you. And I can't wait to hear what Mr. Blake File has to share. I know. And I can't wait to hear both of you host this season. Blickfile joined the TMI Project team in 2017 and quickly became my partner in all things TMI. He's now part of our big gay family, and he's actually an uncle to our three dogs. We just discovered that there's actually a gay uncle's day, which I didn't know, on the second Sunday in August, and we will be celebrating. Welcome, Gunkle Blake. Eva, listen, so (laughs) first of all, the listening audience doesn't know is we've had to interrupt this recording session multiple times for those three nasty little nuggets. That is really true. Yes. I'm recording right now in my closet with a dog who smells like goose shit (laughs) and loves you. (laughs) And I love that. And we all know. I don't have favorites, but if I had to pick a favorite, it would be the goose shitter in your lap. The stinky one, yeah. Stinky stinks, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, hi. Hi, Blake. I'm so glad you're here, and I'm so glad that you're hosting this season. I wanted to start with you to find out a little bit about what drew you to this work. I don't actually know if I've told you this, but I did storytelling competitions when I was a kid. You know that? Yeah, it wasn't How true. have we gotten this far and I didn't know that? What's Well, what's crazy is they weren't true stories, but it was like speech and debate and they had a whole category, which was storytelling. I went to state a number of times, but I always got second place. So <laughs> this felt me resolving those self-worth issues for being second place. And TMI Project wasn't just storytelling. It was how I wanted to be a part of the change to shift the narrative of how we're looking as a social organism, a a collective. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened that there was this magical organization that all of the things I had ever wanted to do with my life, I could do all of those things, including now audio storytelling. I grew up listening to old time radio and also this Christian radio program called Adventures in Odyssey. So even with being able to host this season, it's once again, something I've always wanted to do with my life professionally has come true. Blake, you are always in first place at TMI Project. Always. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I still have those trophies, actually. They're these stupid eagles. The first place eagle was just a little bit bigger than the second place eagle. Again, we're talking about (laughs) super gay things. (laughs) Whose eagle is bigger? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Your eagle is bigger, definitely. (laughs) Or maybe Julie's eagle is bigger. I I think Julie's is the biggest eagle. Can you tell us a little bit about the backdrop growing up so we can understand the context of the story? Let me paint you a little picture, Eva. So Colorado Springs is a very interesting place to grow up. It has more evangelical churches, more McDonald's, and more lesbians per square mile than any other city in the country. Notwithstanding, the United States Air Force Academy is there. So you're in a... That's so strange that God loves the military, lesbians, and McDonald's. I didn't know that about God. God loved those three (laughs) more than anybody else. Any other populations can get lost. That was fully the environment I grew up in. And... It's not just evangelical, it's conservative Christian. I told you that 
we have more evangelical churches per square mile. So the creme, the creme de la creme is a little church called New Life Church, which was founded by the now infamous Ted Haggard in 2006. Ted Haggard got caught using church money for crystal meth and hanging out with a sex worker up in Denver. It was a male sex worker who was being paid using church funds. Can you imagine how deeply, deeply in pain Ted Haggard is? I mean, just a life full of torment, unbelievable torment. It's so depressing. And also, I'm still allowed to be mad at him because how dare you, you know? And the funny part about all that, once the waters cleared, he went and started another church with his wife and several people followed him. Anyway, I'm going to hell. So see you there. (laughs) Growing up, I didn't realize that I was feeling so deeply ashamed of who I was. I was 33 years old when I told that story. And it honestly wasn't until I heard everybody laugh in that workshop about that's like insane. That's crazy. That's cult level. I'll just interject that story was one of the ones that I heard where I was like, this is so extreme. It has got to be exaggerated. This can't possibly be true. (laughs) And then you sent us the home video, which we're going to have to put up on the episode page. Yes, there's home video of this. There is no exaggerating happening in this story. In fact, I almost feel like you played it down. (laughs) (laughs) I really did. I did. Yeah. (laughs) Let's not make them wait a second longer. Without further ado, here is Blake File reading his story titled Fruity Tunes. And be sure that you stick around after to hear how Blake is doing today. I'm standing inside of a giant peach costume, staring out at the congregation through two peoples, dancing my heart out to a song about the ninefold fruit of the spirit. (laughs) I'm the lead in the fall youth choir production, Fruity Tunes. a spin-off of the famous Christian animated series, Veggie Tales, singing, He gives love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. He gives gentleness and self-control. That's the ninefold fruit of the spirit. A cast of other elementary school kids twirls around, blasting their love for Jesus Christ on the cross, all from inside a heavenly host of other fruit costumes, including a bunch of grapes, which symbolize goodness. The raisinets, who represent (laughs) self-control, and an apple, love. The apple also has an evil worm inside, a hand puppet that snakes out the top, another symbol for how our love for God can become infected by sinful, dirty things that fester inside each of us. And I 
love the climax of the play when the worm slithers back down into the apple while a robust chorus of children, not dressed up as fruit, shout over and over to the worm, you are the devil and the devil is bad. You are the devil and the devil is bad. We receive thunderous applause and a standing ovation. And as the praise settles around me, I feel safe and secure and seen and deeply connected to God. I close my eyes and I feel him right there with me. Him with a capital H guiding me and channeling his great will for my humble life. This all takes place at First Presbyterian Church, a foreboding building covered in tinted windows that stretches an entire city block on Bijou Street in downtown Colorado Springs. This church, it's my second home. I wander the hallways and I sneak into every deacon's office. I spend long hours in the sanctuary scribbling notes on empty donation envelopes with meaningful, moving messages like, I like butts. <laughs> or, I really like butts. <laughs> I discover the secret passageway behind the choir loft and the deep sense of peace looming back there, a soundproof haven. I spend hours lying on the ground in that narrow space staring at the dim lighting on the ceiling, wondering about what God looks like and praying that he will take this thing away from me that I feel so deeply ashamed of. This thing about myself that I know is wrong because the Bible told me so. I come to Jesus four different times at First Presbyterian Church, all the while wrestling with a truth inside my head I know I can't speak of because if I do, I'm not going to be welcome in this home away from home. My parents get divorced in 2001. I'm in middle school. My brother has been shipped off to college in Oregon, which means I get to move into the basement and have my own bathroom. And I'm elated because this newfound privacy means I'll have more opportunities to explore my dirty little secret. What starts as innocently purchasing People magazines at Borders Bookstore, clipping photos of Justin Timberlake and J.C. Chazé, and hiding them in a stockpile in a secret spot between my underwear and sock drawers slowly transforms into exchanging more illicit photos of men down to their skivvies on AOL Instant Messenger late into the night. One day, I'm home alone at my dad's house, and I'm on the computer. And I know I'm going to be alone for a while. So I log on to LimeWire and I type in seven measly letters. G-A-Y-P-O-R-N. Gay porn. <laughs> <laughs> and immediately thousands of results pop up. And I start to download them all. And I can't stop. That first night, I download, then delete, over 200 photographs. 
I'm 15 or 16 when I finally realize I can print porn off the computer at my dad's house, then hide it in my backpack and transport it back and forth between houses. I navigate to a new LimeWire search and begin my routine. Those two flight attendants having performative sexual intercourse on the back of a plane ought to do it today. I print the images off as quickly as possible and I race to shove them into my backpack. And then I remember, there are built-in cabinets in my bathroom in the basement at my mom's house. So I hurry back and I tear open the bathroom cabinets. I pull out the towels. There it is. That little curled piece of wallpaper sticking up in the back corner, which I carefully peel away to reveal the original shelf, which distracts me for a moment because all I can think of as a blossoming homosexual is, what? Idiot thought that lining this beautiful woodwork with this cheap ass wallpaper was gonna look cute. <laughs> and so begins a new routine. I build up a hefty arsenal of eight and a half by 11 printer paper porn and fill the hiding spot and feel like the master of hiding things. Until one day, I come home from school and I find my mom sitting in the kitchen waiting for me with the complete stack of printer paper porno sitting on the table in front of her, having been excavated by a sleuthy Giovanna, the woman who cleans our house. You want to explain this filth, Blake? My mom demands in her scary, serious voice. My stomach turns upside down. I've been caught, and I can feel God frowning at me. I asked, do you want to explain this filth? I don't know what to say. No matter where I turn, no matter what lies I can muster up in a matter of seconds, all roads lead to hell, maybe deeper. So I disassociate and can't recall what's said or what's happening. And it takes weeks of awkward silence before my mom finally broaches the G-A-Y-P-O-R-N subject again. After she spends hours consulting with the Fab Three, God, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, she calls the youth pastor at First Press, who we'll call Mike, and schedules some time to... I walk into Mike's office at the church and sit down. I'm devastated and embarrassed. Mike is a kind man with a handsome face and a rapidly receding hairline. He used to be an actor in Los Angeles and even had a few lines in the really bad Godzilla remake starring Matthew Broderick. About two or three sentences in, I stop listening and start imagining what Mike looks like naked. It's counterproductive to his intentions, my mom's intentions, and what they're both saying are God's intentions, but I can't help it. In my teenage gutter brain, his shirt and pants are gone. Poof! And that's all I can focus on. <laughs> Suddenly, out of nowhere, Mike says, I had my own experiences with men when I was living in L.A., but... And my ears perk up. I feel my heart start to beat rapidly. <laughs> 
did Pastor Mike just come out to me? (laughs) (laughs) He goes on to say that even though he had these multiple experiences with men in California, ultimately, all roads lead back to God. And then he reads Leviticus 20.13. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. I leave feeling confused because I'm pretty sure that indeed my youth pastor came out of the closet to me while trying to push me back into my own, but I also leave feeling humiliated and disgusted with myself. But you know what? Deep down, I don't care. What am I supposed to do? Truly, what am I supposed to do? When I finally, officially come out to my mom, In a California pizza kitchen, (laughs) a few years later, she acts like she doesn't expect it. But I know she's known for a really long time. It's the beginning of a long and winding road to understanding, acceptance, and forgiveness for the both of us And years later, it does happen. And these days, we're better than ever. This past summer, I drive across the country. COVID rages to help my mom and sister and nephew pack up and say goodbye to Colorado Springs. They're moving to Oregon. I stay a couple of days after the departure to tidy up loose ends. I call my friend Titi. And we meet up in downtown Colorado Springs at the parking garage across the street from First Presbyterian Church. And I stand on the second floor as the summer breeze blows across my face and I stare into the tinted windows. I catch a glimpse of myself (laughs) dancing in my fuzzy peach costume, singing my heart out in fruity tunes. (laughs) And I can't help but laugh at the irony. (laughs) Then I put my hand up and wave. My younger self waves back. We both know exactly who he is supposed to be. As you just heard, Blake is such a gifted storyteller. And he's also a multifaceted artist. We will share links in the show notes where you can learn more about his music and his latest venture, Abandoned, the All-American Ruins podcast, which takes listeners through sonic fantasies, recreating his experiences exploring abandoned spaces across the United States. You can check out everything Blake does at blakefile.com. That's Blake, P-F-E-I-L dot com. I had a chance to catch up with Blake recently, and here's what he had to say. It shifted pretty much every relationship in my life. There was this level of forgiveness. This is such a ridiculous story and such a ridiculous upbringing. 
it can't have just happened to me. This is the passing on of trauma. And so who am I to hold this, honestly, rage towards these people who went through the exact same thing that I went through just in different circumstances? The second thing is I didn't realize how much I had physically swallowed my own speaking voice and physically swallowed my spiritual voice in spaces and and really learned to make myself small because that subconscious fear of not accepting who I was or being afraid that other people wouldn't accept me for who I was, it affected my body. So I think that's the biggest piece is it was a spiritual reawakening for me wherein I really got an opportunity to look at my my kid self and and just wrap him up in a big hug and tell him this happened and now you're okay. So that's I can say the, the biggest personal mending that telling the story did. And then the biggest one I have to say is this hole that I didn't realize was in my otherwise incredibly healthy relationship with my mom. I guess this was last week. My mom and I were sitting at breakfast and she said that she had been inspired basically by hearing the story and had been doing a lot of thinking and that she used to live under this guise that she was just doing the best she could and that she didn't intend to cause harm. And so any apology came with a condition. Mm -hmm. And she looked me dead in the eye and she said, I wanted to apologize to you for ever making you go somewhere that made you feel small or made you feel like you didn't matter. This really gets me choked up because I didn't know that I needed it, that I needed an apology that was unconditional, that was presented with unconditional love. No defensiveness, no excuses, just I'm sorry that I put you through that. So I think that's pretty beautiful. And the piece of TMI project stories that is remarkable is people telling the story and then things just keep happening that they didn't even expect. I can't even tell you how many people I've spoken to have told their stories and had so many huge pivot points because they got up on stage and looked an audience in the eye and told the truth. And I'm so glad that you and Julie are going to get to introduce so many of those people to our podcast audience. Y'all are in for a really good treat this season. So Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And also my eagle is bigger. (laughs) (laughs) That's honestly the tagline for Pride Stories. My eagle is bigger. Pride Stories. Julie's eagle is the biggest. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. I'm Blake the Gay. And I'm Julie the Lesbian. TMI Project is available to offer true storytelling workshops and performances for your school or workplace. This episode of Season 4 of the TMI Project podcast, Pride Stories was produced in partnership with Radio Kingston. It was edited and produced by Eva Tenuto and mixed by Stevie Manns. Our theme song is Secrets by Edison Woods. Our operations and programs manager is you, Blake File. That's right. And our marketing and digital coordinator is Laura Marie Ruoco. Our administrative assistant is Elijah Jackson. Our graphic designer is Lauren Gill. And our workshop leaders are Perla Aora, Kapoli Kalnek, Haley Downs, Rain Grayson, Ray Lipkin, Dara Lurie, Micah, Eva Tenuto, you, Julie Novak, and me, Blake File. 
To learn more, support our work, and find a special writing prompt so you can start telling your own pride story, visit tmiproject.org forward slash podcast. Bye. (laughs) 